HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. All right, it's Thursday at 1 o'clock, and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report. Quick word from our sponsor today, Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is a beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and as natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. All right, we are live in studio. I have some very exciting guests today. Carmine Rivetti, uh, who is the Associate Vice President um, for Income at the United Way of New York City, and Carlos Rodriguez, another Vice President, very presidential in here today, um, of the Agency of Relations and Benefit Access for the Food Bank of New York City. And we are here to talk about uh, $2 million, which is the amount... Uh, of the grant that you guys received from the USDA. So United Way of New York City plans to partner with New York City Hunger-Free Community Consortium to implement its proposed plan, which has a particular focus on aiding especially vulnerable populations of households with children, working poor, and senior citizens. The project involves creating and implementing a comprehensive outreach plan to increase participation in government and private nutrition assistance and anti-poverty programs, improving the referral network to free food resources, engaging in outreach to promote participation in school breakfast, and creating a New York City Food Policy Council. That is an ambitious list, guys. Why don't you break it down a little bit for us? How are you, how are you starting? How are you tucking in? Like, what's, What are some of the first steps? Yeah, well, I think we have two years to do this, so we should be okay. <laughs> um, I think when we wrote the, the proposal and we kind of came together as a consortium, so it's uh, nine organizations that partnered and really sat at the table to do this. United Way took the lead. You know, we'll be implementing it out, you know, doing a lot of administrative work, um, you know, with the organizations and kind of keeping things in control and making sure we uh, reach our goals and targets. But when we came together, I mean, I think the idea was to really figure out, you know, how to get to people. I mean, you're thinking about New York City and food insecurity secure, you know, households. I mean, last year we have about 1.4 million folks who are using food pantries and soup kitchens. And so you really think about things that you can do to bring those people in, give them benefits and you know, government resources, you know, food stamps, uh, WIC and, you know, school meals is an effective way of doing that. But so when you think about it, we were saying, well, you have all these resources and benefits that are out there, you know, are people using them? And, you know, 
they are underutilized. Even though we have a large number of people who are engaged and involved, they are underutilized. And so we started talking about more of an outreach component and thinking about sort of this one-door approach. So if you're going to an office for WIC benefits or you're going to an office for food stamp benefits, you should really be getting the information for all government benefits and resources that are available. So you kind of have this comprehensive approach for bringing people into the fold. Well, that's great. And I feel like one of the things that so often is striking to me is, is it seems like you know, if, if you're low income, there's this assumption um, from government agencies that you have a lot of time and resources to like, figure out where things are, or to wait in line, and, and so looking at a way to kind of centralize some of those services sounds like a really important step. And it's a the step that actually that's mutually beneficial for both the clients and for administrations. I mean, from the client perspective, to Carmine's point, um, a, a lot of these uh, programs and benefits kind of operate and are administered in silos. And even when they're housed under the same roof, the presentation to the client usually isn't consistent. So a client can uh, come in and say, hey, I want to apply for food stamps. They may or may not wind up, if they have work income, they may not hear uh, necessarily about uh, the earned income tax credit program that they should join taxis and go file or for WIC or vice versa or any combination of the, of the of the two or the three. And so while the bigger goal is to work towards um, aligning government and back office processes so it's very seamless, mm-hmm. at least from the client perspective, you can at least, uh, we can work uh, as, as a consortium to start articulating and demonstrating and, and providing materials that looks the same, feels the same, is common in a way from a marketing perspective to the client, uh, engaging them from where what you want to get, what you want to provide them first as an information, but making sure that other key benefits that we know they're probably eligible for are also discussed and pointing them in the right direction. And I think the other, I mean, the other sort of piece to this that's going to be important is it's, we keep talking about the client, which is, you know, something that has to happen, but also getting those organizations that are operating in those programs bought in. So, I mean, if you're running a soup kitchen or a food pantry, you're getting them bought into this. So it's great that you're doing this and it's great that you're providing people with the opportunity to get food at a food pantry or soup kitchen, but you should be talking to them about other resources. You should be talking to them about food stamps. You should be talking to them about WIC. You should be pointing them in the right direction. You know, and the same thing with if you're a WIC provider. I mean, it's a great program and it's a great service, but you should be talking to them about other resources and benefits. And so the trick is to get in and really do the work with those community-based organizations as well. So so it's you know talking to them about the the information, talking to them about the outreach materials, and getting them comfortable with it because a lot of times they operate in those silos, right? Because I mean they're funded to do one thing, and they Absolutely. do and they do a great job at it. But I mean again, it's getting them to think a little differently. So you think I mean the reason that that this t- type of kind of cross communication and consolidation hasn't happened before now? I mean, is that just a funding issue? Is it? The fact that you have, you know, a group of people who are sitting down from these different organizations. And maybe we can talk a little bit about who all is on the consortium. Um, I mean, the $2 million is kind of allowing you to look at things from a a more macro picture. And and the barrier to that has been funding primarily. Or is there some other reason why, you know, the organizations haven't been communicating more? I think in in New York we have uh, some great collaborations. Organizations, for the most part, do stand side by side on, on a number of different issues. However, when it comes, and I think you, you mentioned it, Carmine definitely mentioned, when it comes to actually implementing your work, whatever your service is, the funding really much is what directs you. As a not-for-profit, you're really guided by your funding. And if your funding restricts you to do X, even though Y is also necessary from the client perspective, you can't do that unless you get additional funding. 
and build the resources and everything else. And that's what really becomes the challenge. So it's not a, a lack of willingness. All these, all the not-for-profits um, around the table are doing some great work. It's just how do you, how do we wind up integrating this in a way that's resource conscious right. Right, for the not-for-profits, uh, and in a way that really um, uh, simplifies it so that you're not talking parallel processes that are very complicated and very cumbersome and hard to then articulate from a not-for-profit perspective, but even harder for a client to kind of grasp. I mean, if you think of, um, I mean, you, let's just use the food bank and what we do as, as, a, as an example, right? So we, we work very closely with United Way and, and with various stakeholders on creating access for food stamps, right? We distribute food to take care of immediate needs. We work to provide client income supports through food stamps, uh, but we also engage in uh, tax preparation. We're one of the largest in the country in terms of tax prep. Those two things are almost polar opposites. You don't usually think of, of a food bank doing food distribution and income support. Right. Uh, on the one hand, we're working with USDA, and I'm, I was here talking to you about uh, how much yield your farm upstairs, uh, right. your greenhouse uh, brings in, because that's one hat. On the other hand, I'm also talking uh, with the IRS about how to, how to simplify the tax process and helping tens of thousands of people um, uh, engage uh, and get their, their return. Well, it's it's completely different worlds. You have USDA on one side, which you're engaging in, and food donors, and you got the IRS on the other side, and they don't normally talk to each other. Uh, but here I am in a space that requires me to do it uh, for the reason because a client actually needs both resources. Sure. And and so that's one way where we kind of kind of yeah, bring I, the worlds together. And I think we've you know again as far as a concept and as far as a construct, I don't think it's foreign to to us you know and, and you know food bank and then also to the United Way. I mean you know, you know he'd mentioned. Carlos had mentioned the food stamps program. I mean, that's something that we run. You know, we have, you know, 11 other partner organizations that are involved in this other food stamp program that we run. And through that initiative, you know, we've really said, okay, well, you're coming in for food stamps and you're giving us all this information about your income and you know, your household size. And by and large, you know, when I'm going to screen you for food stamps, I can pretty much screen you for other benefits because that information is pretty much the same. And so why not go through that process of, of giving you the information for those other benefits? I may not help you enroll in those benefits, but I'm going to at least talk to you about them. So I think each individual organization, you know, that's probably part of this consortium has sort of thought about this work and, mm -hmm. and in some way, shape or form has is, is moved in that direction. But I don't know that we've really come together to say, let's create this citywide effort. Or let's go out and, and create this marketing material that looks the same, that feels the same, go into these different communities and really get the information out there uh, in a very sort of focused uh, manner. I mean, it's a simple concept. It's almost too simple, right? <laughs> uh, can we have one voice, one look to communicate and discuss to clients what we're all doing very effectively, but in very specific areas and almost in a siloed format? Okay. And that's not a knock, right? That's not a, that's sure. not a, a knock on, on the way things run. That's just a reflection of the reality that, again, that's the way the, the, a lot of these programs are administered, and that's the way the kind of the resources are flowed. So here's an opportunity where a, a, a very wide uh, consortium, very large and, 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 and varied consortiums have come together and said, yeah, that makes sense. We're all trying to refer clients one way to the other or to each of our organizations, but can we do it can we give this? Can we give what we're already doing one voice so that it has more impact beyond the clients that we're uh, that we're reaching? That's great. So So I, I get the consortium. Um, you know, you guys are looking at at the SNAP benefits, the WIC benefits, um, also school breakfast. Can we talk a little bit about that? 
let Carlos handle that. That's his uh, expertise yeah. as an organization. Well, that's one, yeah. yeah, that's where they're they're really involved and invested in, and then they're going to partner with. Uh, you know, a couple other organizations that are part of the consortium. So I think that's something that, you know, we're excited about. And it was one thing that, I mean, as far as the, the, the proposal and the, mm -hmm. the, the grant, the application, when you looked at it, when the USDA put out the request for proposals, I mean, they really wanted um, a focus on seniors and, and sort of uh, school-age children was, a, was another priority. And so I think we felt that it was important because they, they basically gave us the opportunity to pick and choose. But I think, you know, given that they really put an emphasis on seniors uh, and put an emphasis on of the school age population um, that for us was something that we wanted to include and so that's one of the other reasons why ARP is involved in the proposal but I'll let Carlos talk about the uh... well and just to give a quick stat here too from the report you know in New York State 14.8 percent of our children under the age of 18 are food insecure I, I know that was a surprising number for me and I think in New York City it's like one in five kids live in a food, food insecure house so I think that's like another thing that kind of escapes people's attention when they're thinking about food stamp, when they're thinking about food assistance, so that one of the primary populations served are, are kids. And, and yeah, so if you're on school break, you know, you don't get school lunch anymore. What's filling that void? Well, you definitely want to make sure that during school time that uh, children are participating in school breakfast and, and school lunch. And, and you're right. Uh, when this went on school break, we want to actually promote the summer meals program. The idea is to make sure that we're doing everything we can to connect uh, children with at least the one meal that we know is available and, and that the city is definitely providing. And at the same time, work with the city uh, to make sure that the um, um, there's enough uh, locations, that the outreach is right, uh, and, and encouraging families to actually figure out, well, what's the disconnect if there is a disconnect? Uh, so that's important. Uh, looking at different alternative models for school breakfast is key to get participation up. Uh, you know, what's keeping uh, clients that we know can use this and children uh, that, that can use this uh, from, from engaging and participating in the program. So that's definitely one of the things that we want to do. It's also, when you think about this kind of multiple, multiple benefit approach, it's a great way to start engaging parents, right? You can reach a lot of parents and a lot of the target families um, through the school. Uh, so when, you, when you're engaging them in something that's relevant to them, like school breakfast or school meals, uh, then we want, it's a great opportunity to also provide them information about something else. And so now they see these two things as related. Okay, great. So another thing I want to kind of touch on is, you know, the food, the food world that I've occupied in, you know, I ha having cooked at Gramercy Tavern, working for Heritage Foods, you know, often there's a lot of people who point their finger and say, you know, that food movement is elitist or that um, low-income households, you know, can't really be concerned about where their food is coming from because they're just trying to get access to food. And I'm wondering, how, how do you guys respond to that? Like, what is the role for New York State farmers or the local food movement in creating more access for low-income residents in New York City? Well, I think you're correct in, in the assumption and in, in, in the statement about, you know, certain communities not having access and resources. I mean, you think of sort of these... Uh, you know, sort of deserts that are out there without supermarkets and you know, proliferation of you know other sort of food resources that are there that are probably not the most desirable. But you know, again, I mean, it's it's a question of of access. And but I do think that you know, sort of organizations like Grow NYC and you know New York City government in general has done a great job at sort of trying to push the envelope and and getting farmer markets into different communities and making sure that not only are they there, but you know, so if they're there and you have a low income population that you're dealing with. You know, can they use their benefits? Can they use their food stamps? You know, and now it's you know, you know, can SNAP. But I mean, can they use the 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 benefit there? And they can. I mean, you have the EBT that's available. And so again, I mean, I think pushing it and getting out there uh, and, and making people aware that 
you know, that the markets for them is, is important. And it's, I wouldn't sort of say it's elitist. I mean, I think it's probably a smart way of getting uh, fresh produce into those communities, right? Because you're not building a, a supermarket a little bit more difficult, right? I mean, so getting that benefit out there in terms of the, uh, you know, the fresh, you know, fresh produce is probably the way to go. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, New York State, I feel like, has definitely been progressive from a promatic standpoint. You know, you have the Healthy Bodegas Initiative, you have the Fresh Initiative, um, you know, you have the Green Card Initiative, like, how do we get more Whole Foods? And, you know, this is the Farm Report, and and so well, we're always thinking, like, how do we kind of create, you know, a lot about what we talk about on the show is creating these connections, like the consortium, is like, how do we get kind of like-minded people at the table looking at some of these bigger issues. And, you know, you were saying when uh, we were we were outside taking a look at, there's a little greenhouse on the top of the radio station here at Roberta's and wondering about, you know, do we have surplus food here? Is that a resource that the food banks use, I mean, as far as getting fresh produce? And where is that coming from? Or oh, how goodness. can people kind yeah. of get more involved in that? We, uh, about 20% or, or, or just on average, about 20% of the uh, food that we're bringing in uh, is fresh produce. So last year we uh, distributed over 7 million, 70 million pounds of food, 14 to 15 million, about f- closer to 15 million was fresh produce. And a growing portion of that is actually sourced uh, locally, either from upstate or from Long Island um, or regionally as, as, as close as uh, Pennsylvania. So we are absolutely looking at fresh produce and we're doing high volumes and have been for years doing high volumes of distribution of fresh produce targeting to Carmine's point where we where we know that there are pockets where it may not be that assess, uh, accessible. And we've also taken, you know, at the United Way, we've definitely taken initiative in terms of uh, you know, fresh produce and healthy options. And you know, we run an emergency food shelter program. So it's, you know, funds the soup kitchens and pantries and the HIPNAP program, Hunger Prevention and Nutrition is another uh, revenue source. And through those, we've made the effort of saying, you know, we want you to serve people healthy options and, and, and serve them good options, right? I mean, so things that are, you know, low in sugar, um, you know, low in sodium, you know, thinking about fresh produce also as an option. So we've, you know, as an organization, have kind of moved in that direction and taken leadership to get some of that stuff done and making sure that, you know, just because you are, quote unquote, low income and, you know, you're accessing resources at a, at a food pantry, you shouldn't have to you know sort of sacrifice or compromise you know the healthy aspect of it that's great we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to talk more on these issues
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to Greenhorn Radio, hosted by Severin Von Scharner Fleming, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers by young farmers. Helmed by acclaimed activist, farmer, and documentarian Severin Fleming, Greenhorn Radio is a weekly phone interview session surveying America's cutting-edge under-40 farmers. Again, that's every Thursday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. Cool. Well, welcome back. You are tuned into the Farm Report. We are in studio with Carlos Rodriguez and Carmine Rivetti talking about $2 million from the USDA to look at serving uh, food insecure folks in New York City. So both of you guys work for organizations that have a kind of interesting structure. There's a kind of a large national mothership, per se. And then uh, you have the local chapter. So I'm wondering, how does that relationship work? I mean, how independent are you? And, and what are kind of some of the core principles? And, and like, how does that change from the national office to the local office? Like, how do you guys work together or within the organization? I mean, I think there's there's definitely challenges along the way, and but I think you know we sort of have this focus, and you know we work and operate in three different types of uh, areas, and so I'll say you know sort of our programs are focused on you know income programs, health programs, and education programs, and so again we sort of come together, um, you know, and then you know sort of set that vision, and then locally you know we sort of work to kind of move that forward and so you know we're not tied to certain programs but you know we're tied to those types of issues so by income which is my area you know really talk about working to reduce the number of economically vulnerable new yorkers really that's sort of the focus and then you know within education there's a focus and then within health there's a focus and it doesn't necessarily have to mirror sort of what the you know what the national folks are doing as far as exact programming but i mean they kind of set the bar and kind of you know push us in that direction and then you know we have some autonomy at the local level to be able to run programs that we feel are going to sort of move us towards achieving that mission or goal. Sure, and you're, you know, you're here on the ground, so you're definitely much more in touch with issues that are important to New Yorkers. So that's for the United Way. If people want to get kind of more involved here in, here in the city or learn more about what you do or support you, what are kind of some of the options for them? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, you know, visit our website and take a look at things and you can donate to us. Um, A lot of organizations or a lot of companies, I should say, have, you know, um, campaigns that they run where, you know, they donate dollars to the United Way. So you can give an individual gift or you can work through your company. If that's an option, you can visit our website. We definitely have different events that, you know, take place during the course of the year. You could also volunteer. So we have different programs. So if you're interested in volunteering, you can call. Uh, you know, the United Way, or you can come to the website and look at the programs and kind of, you know, email us through that means. But, you know, we have a free tax prep service that we do during the tax season. You know, Food Bank does as well. But you're always looking for people to volunteer uh, to be, you know, tax preparers to kind of work. That's so you know, we yeah. train people to do it. You know, we work with an organization that's engaged and involved, the financial clinics. So we partner with them and, you know, we sort of, you know, couple people um to the to that program and they'll be able to go out and do the free tax prep you know we have different volunteer opportunities within education and you know within health so again i mean you can just reach out and look at our website look at the options that are available and you know sounds like you're hitting the spectrum Yeah, yeah i mean that's one of the things that i feel like we are always trying to connect people with here on the farm report is that being involved in your food system is you know it's not narrowly defined there's lots of different ways to to kind of have an impact so uh, Carlos, what about at the Food Bank for New York City? What What's kind of your organizational structure, and, and how can people learn more and get more involved? Sure. Well, we're an independent uh, not-for-profit, a 501c3. Uh, we are members of our local state association of food banks, and we are also a member of Feeding America, which uh, uh, brings together all food banks across the country. 
And uh, the, the biggest, one of the biggest, and we work together on collaborations and on, on, on figuring things out and, and being a more unified voice on important issues, uh, especially, you know, legislative issues and policy issues, uh, so something which we're working on right now very actively on. Uh, and again, if you want to uh, contribute your time or your dollars, uh, you can also visit our website, foodbanknyc.org, uh, and you can do everything from, as Carmine mentioned, uh, uh, start learning about how to participate or how to be a, a trained tax preparer or IRS certified tax preparer uh, during the next tax season, or you can uh, get a group together and volunteer at our distribution center up in Hunts Point and repack food that's going to go out to uh, our over 1,000 programs that we support uh, throughout the five boroughs. It's a great way to do team building, corporate or otherwise. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of different ways to engage, uh, whether it's through time. Uh, as I mentioned, obviously we'll take your uh, but we'll, we'll put good. We'll put. We'll take your dollars and put them to good use. But we also need your voice. So when it comes to legislative policy work and some advocacy, uh, there are. We definitely need the masses to kind of come together and and help address some of the uh, changes and be a voice uh, for the uh, for policies that really uh, uh, address low income uh, families' needs. And are those things? I mean, kind of talking about where where funding for 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 food access and for the type of work that both of your organizations are doing, are those other are dollars that kind of really drive your organizations? Are they federal money, state money? Is it New York uh, City taxpayers? Like, where where's the funding coming from? I think it, I mean, it definitely varies. I mean, USDA is a you know, federal stream of dollars that we've gotten for this grant. Um, you, know, you know, other resources that come into us can be private. Um, we've done things through the state. Um, you know, as far as uh, you know, some of our health programs come through the state. You know, the HIPNAP program I mentioned earlier is the funding stream that comes through the you know, New York State. But again, I mean, it varies in, in the different you know sort of opportunities that present themselves. Um, you know, we'll partner with other organizations to go after resources. But again, it's, it's a wide spectrum. You know, between you know city, state, and federal, and then again, also private dollars. I think that's something that we like. It's such a reoccurring theme for everyone we have on the show is. Nobody can get by being good at just one thing. I mean, whether you're a farmer or you're working in policy, you're working in food access, you're working with food banks, it's like everyone has to wear 8 million hats. And I think that's probably what makes your jobs exciting and, and also really challenging. It's never a dull moment. No, for sure. no. Well, I want to, you know, we have about five minutes left. I want to kind of throw out some topics and just get your feedback on them. Soda, soda tax, um, you know, Bloomberg has taken a pretty strong stance. You know, there's been talk about you know, no longer making a soda purchase available with your your food stamp, your SNAP benefits. Like, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are sides of the issue that the general consumer is not really thinking about when they're looking at that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a proposal that was sent to the USDA. I don't know where that proposal sits right now. You know, the city sent one in. Um, you know, sort of putting that forward about you know food stamp recipients not using their resources or dollars um, you know to purchase soda. As an organization, United Way felt that you know it was the right thing, and then you know sort of we took a position that you know, we, we would support such an effort. I mean, given our uh, belief in you know providing people with resources, but also providing them with healthy options. When I mean, we do it through our other programming, and just felt that you know it was a natural fit for us. I mean, I, you know, again to. I do know that there are other people and other organizations that, you know, differ and either didn't take a position or sort of opposed it, but that's fine. I mean, we'll still work together and we'll still work on other issues. Um, you know, I think even within this consortium, there's probably a lot of disagreement on that topic, but, you know, we all came together after the fact and still, you know, work to get these uh, $2 million into the community. 
Yeah, you know, we can't we commend um, any approach that really does think outside of the box. Um, our approach uh, to food, however, is uh, to to provide. Uh, we want to make sure that we provide uh, access, financial access, and um, a local access to affordable, nutritious food. So we take much more, um, a broader approach, and and approach really is is also very comprehensive. We make sure that clients have and, and New Yorkers have food uh, to make to meet their immediate needs. Uh, we provide income supports uh, so that they can go out and purchase food the way you and I enjoy purchase foods, and they can actually have financial choice to actually make decisions. And then we also provide nutrition education. We run a large nutrition education program uh, that helps, that's geared and focused on allowing New Yorkers to make uh, the best choices within their financial and access reality, because that's very important. So we got it. We, I mean, we look at it from them approach. What is it that's available? What's keeping you from from access? Uh, and how do we really work um, to to bring together comprehensive solutions so that you can actually have choices and you can make the best choices possible? That's great. Uh, another hot topic: fingerprinting. To, uh, you know, to be eligible for SNAP benefits, and uh, I don't know, is that just in New York City or state? But you, they're, you're required to be fingerprinted as like an. A, a, so what, what's the deal with that? It's finger imaging. Finger imaging. Oh, how is that different? <laughs> no ink. No ink. Oh, okay. <laughs> Much cleaner your- process. <laughs> Uh, so it's actually, I think, up to four states only that are doing this um, uh, throughout the country. Uh, and, I, and, and in New York, it's actually not the, the entire state. Uh, and this is one of the things that, you know, we, we, we don't we disagree on, uh, whether it's uh, useful or not. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't come to together, together at the table and, and work on things that we know um, uh, are, are can, can, make a, can make a difference and, and move those uh, things forward. You know, on, on finger imaging, it's, you know, our thing is it's inconsistent with all the uh, so, so many tremendous efforts to streamline the application process and to uh, uh, facilitate access uh, uh, for New Yorkers. And, and so the finger imaging kind of runs counter to that from the client perspective because it's an extra step that they have to take um, in order to, uh, in order to, to verify, uh, uh, the identity and, and, and so on. And, you know, there's, there, there are arguments for and against it. Uh, we, from the client, we, the food bank from the client perspective say, Hey, you know, we, we're working very hard collaboratively and jointly to streamline the process. This kind of stands separate and apart. And, you know, we think that if we, uh, uh if we put our heads together, we can find a way to address any verification issues in other, in other ways. Other ways. Cause again, if it, it's, you know, if it, it's um, it's only in four states, so it's not something that's uh, completely detrimental uh, for accuracy. If sure. not, it would have been uh, adopted, adopted by uh, more, by more, um, or mandated or, or such by USDA. And it's not it doesn't it doesn't it, there's other ways of doing that kind of verification. The, we feel. And the thing is, it doesn't sit throughout the whole state. I mean, in, in New York, I mean, it's pretty much up to the jurisdiction, and you know, New York City is decided to do it i mean it you know definitely presents an obstacle and a barrier but i guess we'll say that you know we'll continue to work with families and we'll continue to put programs out there that are going to enroll people and you know we'll have to deal with those obstacles and barriers i mean would it be great if it wasn't there sure but you know again i mean we're still not going to stop going out into communities and doing outreach and getting people enrolled i mean the work has got to be done i mean you sort of think about it and carlos had talked about you know when we're coming here you know for all the for all the people that are enrolled you know in in food stamps probably you know what one point Eight million or somewhere in that neighborhood, you're probably thinking about still five or so hundred thousand people that are eligible and that not enrolled. enrolled. So you know, there's a lot of work to be done. So I mean, you know, again, it would be nice if it wasn't there, but 
you know, we still got to go out and find people and we still got to get people to come in the door and get them to understand that this is a resource that they need and should use. They shouldn't be making those hard decisions about whether to pay their utility bills or put food on the table. And there's been tremendous success. I mean, the food stamp rolls have gone up in New York City and we should really uh, applaud that in the sense of, yeah, there's been access to the program. Now we have 1.8 million uh, New Yorkers accessing it and that's great for them individually. It's also a great thing for the community. Uh, and that wouldn't have been possible if we weren't working collaboratively on, and, and with solutions with the administration. So there are things that we can come together and align and say, hey, let's get this part of the job done. And, you know, we'll work on and th- there's always going to be differences. Listen, if we were all the same, it'd be, it'd be kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show. We've been in studio with Carmine Rivetti of United Way of New York City and Carlos Rodriguez from the Food Bank for New York City. We'll have to have you guys in in two years to talk about wrapping the project up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, I came across a new website from the American Meat Institute and the American Meat Scientists Association. It's called www.meatmythcrushers.com. It is purports to be addressing consumer concerns about additives such as sodium nitrates in your, um, you know, ham and turkey roll and whatever, and animal welfare and food safety. I noticed as I went through the uh, Meat Myth Crushers website, however, that it did not address anything like uh, subtherapeutic uh, antibiotic use in the meat chain. So um, I'm not sure how many myths they intend to crush. But, you know, as I say, always say, it's good to know what the opposition is thinking. And if you want to be fair about any uh, issues around the food scene, it's wise to keep up with their press as well as ours. That's it for Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Did you know we have a show entirely about cheese? Take a listen. Well, I know this is a, it's horrible to do visual things on the radio, <laughs> but if you were all sitting in the studio, you would see this wheel from, from late May is quite pale in color. It's, yeah. a, um, it's a little bit, yeah, like a milkier, um, uh, sort of a very soft yellow. And then the, the wheel from late June is quite golden and intense looking. It's a really deep, deep yellow. Um, what causes that? that difference well i'm quite sure it's the grass it's the keratin in the grass and um that's giving it that yellow color not fat um but definitely coming from from the pasture um our animals are fed hay through the winter now we we don't use fermented feed because that won't work with our cheese Mm -hmm. but um so they're essentially grass-fed year-round with grain supplement. If you like what you hear, Cutting the Curd airs every Monday at 4.30 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. 
And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your fairway honey today.